0: Our reading this morning comes from First John chapter three. First John three. We'll read verses one through 24. We have, of course, been working through these verses over the course of our Lord's Supper celebrations. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother is righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. So far, the Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 145, stanza 5. Uh, we looked at the verses right before our text. That's verses 4 through 10. And the main idea that we looked at there that John was really driving home is that those who are the true children of God will bear a family resemblance to their father. It's a very simple principle. If you're a child of God, you, you ought to bear a family resemblance. This is how you know who are God's children. Um, so you can, you can tell who are the children of God by, by asking do they look like their father? Just as we do uh, here on earth, you you can tell a child um, is is of a certain family, uh, usually, uh, by asking, do they look like their parents? The catechism students had had a lot of fun as I tried to do that at the beginning of this year with all the new students identifying, uh, you must be from this family, and um, I'd say two-thirds of them I got right. You can tell who, who is of what family by looking at uh, their, their family resemblance? Well, that's the, the point then that John also makes here. Um, who looks like God, their father? Um, who, in other words, um, he asks the question in 4 through 10, who's making a practice of striving after righteousness? Because that's what their father looks like. He is righteous. So, who are the children of God? It is those who strive after righteousness. They are God's children. Now, uh, of course, he's not saying that um, striving after righteousness makes you God's children, just as the family resemblance doesn't make you part of that family. It is evidence that you are part of that family. So, also, those who strive after righteousness show themselves... To be God's children. Uh, The same thing in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning shows himself to be a child of the devil. Because he's been sinning right from the beginning. Again, look for the family resemblance. And then he finished that section in verse 10 uh, by saying, By this then it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Then he throws in a last little line nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's the second key family resemblance. So the first is the practice of righteousness. That's what we saw last time. The second is the mark of love for one another. And that's what he wants to focus on in the verses that are now before us. Uh, So he's still working on this point of family resemblance, but now we're looking at the second mark, and that is of love. So John, again, takes us right back to the basics. This is what you can love about the Apostle John. Um, He's so focused on, let's keep this down to the basics. Let's focus on the main things. And and he says, this is not complicated stuff. He says, this is the message you heard right from the beginning. I'm not making this up now. Uh, I'm not suddenly introducing a new principle. Go back to what you heard right from the beginning, and that is the command that you love one another. Uh, So, if if there are people in in the midst of this congregation to whom John is writing, uh, if there are people that are presenting some other teaching, some other way to be a child of God, and they're not marked by love, he says, you know, or you ought to know, you're on the wrong track. Um, That's inconsistent with the message that you heard from the first moment you heard the gospel. Um, You are to love one another. Don't let anyone distract you from that basic gospel command. Uh, So John then uh, picks up with that same idea um, that that he started already in verse 4 to 10. And he's saying there's two lines, uh, two races within the human race. There only ever have been. Uh, Same idea as in verse 4 to 10. There's the children of the devil, and there are the children of God. There are these two races within the human race. Um, And and here he calls the the race of the devil, he calls it the evil one. The devil is the evil one in verse 12. uh, The world in verse 13. And those who belong to death in verse 14. So there's that race, and there are the children of God. Uh, Two lines within the human race. And the question is, to which do you belong? To which do you belong? Well, when we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, one of the things we we are declaring by coming is that we belong to the children of God. Uh, We belong to Christ, who is the Son of God, and therefore we belong to the family of God. Uh, so, so we declare by coming that we are God's children and heirs of eternal life. We're saying uh, by coming, we belong firmly in this line. Uh, we declare we're no longer part of that old human race that is dead. We belong to a new, a new race. We have passed from death to life. So John has, has us asked the question, how do you know? How do you know that you've passed from death to How do you know you stand within the children of God and not within the children of the devil? Um, And and the two marks, again, are the practice of righteousness and the existence of love. Um, So John is really direct in verse 14. He says, Whoever does not love abides or remains in death. He gives the example of Cain. Uh, one of the most obvious, I mean, there's no dispute that Cain firmly belongs into the camp of, of the devil. He, that's that line of the human race. Uh, and he says, he says, what is Cain marked by? By hatred and by murder. So which line do you bear the marks of? Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother, by virtue of that hatred, is a murderer, and you, you may know for sure then that he belongs to the line of Cain. Uh, he says in verse uh, 15, there's, there's no way that someone who bears that mark of hatred and murder in his heart could possibly be of the children of God, someone who's spiritually alive. How can you be spiritually alive and yet harboring murder in your heart? These two things are inconsistent. Oh, and brothers and sisters, maybe it's, maybe it's obvious, but we need to see then that these two lines in the human race are polar opposites. They have nothing to do with one another. Uh, there, there's no gray area somewhere somewhere in between. To not love your fellow Christian, as far as John is concerned, is to hate him. Uh, there's, there's no gray area in between. If you don't love, you hate uh, and, and it will be one or the other. Again, verse 14, whoever does not love abides in death. He's not just saying whoever hates. He's saying whoever does not love abides in death. Uh, so so there are these, these two very distinct lines in the human race. And, and you need to know to which of these do you belong. Is your life... and. We're talking here particularly within the church. You notice that um, John is referring to uh, your love for the brothers all the way through. All the way through 11 through 24. It's constantly, what's your love like within the church? Um, Is your life within the church distinctly and unmistakably marked by love for your fellow Christians? Now, I'm not saying by this, nor is John, that that we ought that it doesn't matter whether we love unbelievers as well obviously the lord jesus teaches us we should love your enemies pray for those who persecute you uh, but the focus in these verses is clearly and and ought to be you know maintained within the church if you're not capable of loving those who are closest to you to those, uh, of those who are your brothers and sisters in christ then whatever you're doing out in the world, it certainly is not the love of God. If you cannot love the church and, and those within the church first, then you cannot possibly love those who are outside of it. Uh, so to which of these, then, do you belong? Which, which line in the human race the mark will be that of love? Let no one kid himself on this. And so let me, let me say it as boldly as I can, taking it right out of the text here. If your life within the church is not distinctly marked by love for your fellow Christian, then you are not a Christian. If your life within the church is not distinctly marked by love for your fellow Christians, then you are not a Christian. That's the point that John is very clearly making. If you don't love your brothers and sisters in the church, there's no way that you can say that you have the love of God Abiding in you, and then you cannot possibly be the child of God. And John even takes it a step further in verses 16 to 18 because some of us might uh, hear that and, and respond by saying, well, Sure, I'm willing to say that you know, my life is marked by love. I love everybody after all. The Apostle John asks the question, Okay, is it visible? Is it visible? Um, he says, by this we know love. So now we're going to define love. We know love by the fact that Christ laid his life down for us. And so we also ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. Love is visible. And so our definition of love then is not going to come from you know, whatever feelings may exist within our hearts, but from the example of God himself. Here's how we know what love looks like. Jesus laid his life down for our our lives. He went um, out of his way to love, to take the initiative to love a people who were undeserving of his love. That's how we as Christians are going to define love. One thing that that certainly means is that love is not the same as indifference. That may be obvious, um, and yet that's often... What we regard as love is, is mere indifference. Love is not passive. Love is not, you know, if they want to talk to me, I'll listen, but I'm not going to go out of my way to talk to them. That's not love. You cannot call that love. Um, that, that's certainly not the love of Christ. True love, true Christian love, is the sort of love that takes the initiative to go out of its way to serve and to sacrifice. That's how we will define love. Uh, that, uh, it's the love that goes out of its way. The love that pursues is true Christian love. Uh, so, we can be direct here. Everybody's a fan of love. You, know, you don't find any bumper stickers that say, you know, no more love. Uh, we're a- anti-love. Um, everybody is a fan of love. L- love is what makes the world go round, as, as they say. Uh, but if that were true, this world would look very different. We all know this. If, if everybody truly loved love as much as they say they do, this would be a very different world. Uh, and again, John is talking here just within the church. Uh, everybody claims to love within the church, but the church would look different if everybody did in fact love. Um, so John says, make sure it's for real. Make sure it's real. Uh, Verse 18, Little children, let us not love merely in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now the example he gives is how we use our money. Uh, Verse 17, If anyone has the world's good, that is food, clothing, housing, uh, or or, or just plain uh, financial resources, uh, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love possibly abide within him? So here's what it comes down to. Does, your, does the love that you profess for your fellow Christian make its way from whatever feelings you may have in your heart, does it make its way out to your hands? Uh, does it make its way out into actual service, actual generosity, giving of, of your time uh, or your money or your energy, your strength, your whatever resources God may, may give you? It's very easy To say, I love everybody within the church, while actually giving very little of the resources that God has given you. Uh, Very simply, John is saying, that isn't love. Uh, Now, you might say, well, God hasn't given me very much money. Okay, Uh, John did make that a conditional sentence. He says, if someone has the world's goods. Uh, But certainly, God has given you some goods, some resources. God has given you strength. God has given you time. Uh, God has given you uh, effort. Uh, These are things that God calls us to give to make our love real. So the question is, are you using what God has given you in the service of your fellow Christian? And I recognize I've been taking a very direct approach. This is a convicting text, and we ought to be convicted uh, by it. But I trust you recognize John doesn't write this to condemn us, but rather to urge us both to examine ourselves and to renew our commitment to making that love real. Um, And so the final verses of our text are both convicting and, and comforting. He says in verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Now, I want to take one small issue with the translation here. The word reassure in the Greek is actually the, the Greek word persuade. And, and there's nowhere where it ever means reassure, and I don't think we should uh, translate it that way. Um, the translation is an, an attempt to make sense of a, a difficult text. What does it mean to, to persuade your heart? Um, And and the idea they're taking is maybe by heart he means your conscience. But there, Scripture also never speaks of our conscience in in terms of our heart. Um, The heart does not refer to the conscience. I think a better way to understand this is to connect it back to the heart that's right there in verse 17. Again, if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? What John is saying is that heart ought to be persuaded by the love of God, um, to be open and not closed to our brother. So he says, by this we shall persuade our hearts before God. Uh, in that vein, I also read verse 20 um, as more of a warning. I think the translation, the way they set it up, it's, it's meant to sound like a comfort, um, to say that God is greater than our hearts. But I think John means it here as a warning. He's saying, if our hearts condemn us by the fact that they are closed to our brother, uh, then God condemns us all the more because God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He sees our hearts, our closed hearts in that case, even more clearly than we do. But here's the comfort, and, and here's John's plea to us. If our heart does not condemn us because it is open to our brother and sister, um, and, and therefore bears witness to the fact that we are of the children of God. If our heart does not condemn us, he says, then we may also have confidence before God. What a glorious and I hope comforting statement uh, that is. That we may have confidence before God that we do belong. For all of our imperfections, that we do belong to the children of God. And the testimony to that will be a heart that is open to one's brother and sister. A heart that, is, um, that loves. Um, so do, as, as we reflect on these texts, do examine your hearts. Uh, and if you find in there a sincere love for your brothers and sisters in this church, again, we're keeping it to this church, your closest brothers and sisters here, if you find there a love for your brothers and sisters that ought to be there, that is a mark of the children of God, um, then then however that heart may have worked itself out imperfectly, as it has for, for all of us, you may have confidence before God. As you come to this table. Now we can know that we belong to him. And because of that we can also know. He says that he also hears and answers our prayers. As we're walking in obedience to him. What a glorious comfort that is. To know um, for all of my imperfections. I know that I do love my brothers and sisters. And I know that that love is the work of God. And I know that that means God hears. And God answers my prayers for all of my imperfections. God means it when he says, come to the table of my son. So John sets us before us, these two uh, polar opposites, these two lines in the human race. Um, Lines that, of course, have nothing to do with biology um, and everything to do with the spirit of God. One is marked by hatred and death. The other is marked by love and eternal life. And though we we are certainly not yet what we want to be, We are certainly not yet what we will be perfectly after this life. Nonetheless, the love that we do have in reality within us is evidence that we are indeed God's children and we shall certainly inherit eternal life. So, brothers and sisters, you who know the love that you have for your brothers and sisters, come with confidence to the table of Christ where He calls you, where He welcomes you, and from which He will never turn you away. Amen. Let's respond by uh, singing together from Psalm 16, stanzas 1, 4, and 5.